More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. Clay already calling a shot early in the for, uh, the first quarter here of the uh, 2024 election. He's basically saying, call out the mercy rule. Trump is uh, running away with it. I, I, I'm falling back on my, the world is a crazy place. Nobody can predict the future. And we could have movement on the Democrat side. We could have movement on the Republican side. I'm, I'm going to wait and see. I'm, I'll, I'll also say this. I'm humbled by what happened in 2022, where, and Tucker has said this publicly, a lot of people have come out and said, you know, it seemed like, you know, I, I mean, look, I, look I, I was so fired up about, for me, it, it was Lee Zeldin. I wanted yeah. Lee Zeldin to win so badly. And even after COVID in New York, I, I, and when I saw all the lunacy here, I was like, the people of New York State, I wasn't relying on New York City. I was like, the people of New York State. And look, they made it close. They, they, you know, they, but we're outnumbered two to one. And how, at the end of the day, when you're outnumbered two to one as a Republican in New York State, it doesn't really uh, get it done. Or maybe it's, I think it's maybe a little less than two to one. But the point is, we're obviously, you know, we don't really have. I'm talking about registrations. We don't really have the numbers we need. Um, in New York City, it's like eight to one. So yeah. there, I mean, that's just that's just almost impossible unless you go hang out with my friend Joe Borelli in Staten Island, the one enclave of sanity down there. Um, but he, here you go. Uh, DeSantis is realizing he's got ground to make up and <laughs> in the polls. That's that's for sure. And he's he's saying things about Trump on policy. So far, none of this has landed at all. This is what Ron said over the weekend. Play six. We've been very frank uh, at our differences uh, with respect uh, to the former president. I mean, for example, he promised to drain the swamp. It got worse. He did not drain the swamp. He promised to build, have Mexico pay for a border wall. They did like 50 miles of wall. There's massive expansive still there. He said he was going to eliminate the national debt. They added almost $8 trillion to the debt uh, in four years. And of course, in 2020, he turned the country over to Dr. Fauci and those lockdowns and the borrowing and printing really sent us on a bad course. All I've right. been very, very frank at that, but I have no interest in attacking Donald Trump or any of these other candidates personally. I think we've got to rise above that. So he's not going personal. 
and he's talking policy. We haven't seen a bump from this. I, I think we're at a point, too, where a lot of people so far who are locked in on the Trump side of things, they disagree with the assessment on policy or they you know they disagree with some of the criticisms or also perhaps they view the criticisms as not substantial enough for them to change their mind. Meaning, OK, even if the wall didn't get finished, which we can all agree it didn't get finished. Right. That's just reality. How much of it was actually new wall versus uh, additional wall? I haven't seen a lot of voters um, who say, well, I blame Trump so much for that, given the realities he faced that I'm going to go with a different Republican candidate. Right. So uh, it's there's an it's an uphill climb here for all of his opponents, except for Vivek, who I think you have to suggest Vivek is probably taking some of those DeSantis and maybe expected Tim uh, Tim Scott supporters because he's actually been getting boosts in the polls. Well, I don't think people know him. Um, And by the way, when I'm talking about Trump taking control, I said I'm talking about the 2016 race, but I'm referencing July of 2015, which if you go back and look at polling in July of 2015, Trump became the favorite. And we really never saw Trump relinquish his mantle as the favorite all the way through the rest of the primary season. Now, there were different challengers. And if you'll remember, that argument was, well, Trump really can't get above a third. Oh, he's only got around a third of the Republican primary electorate when it eventually ends up being Trump versus one or two. And remember, it ended up being, for everybody out there who's forgotten, Trump versus Ted Cruz. And then Ted Cruz was never able to get over the hump, and and Trump continued. So I also kind of just, the the Trump wrecking ball in 2016, the way it was set up was, it was almost like, I don't know, did you ever play like uh, Double Dragon growing up or any of those like fighting video games? I love those things, you know, Street Fighter. But Double Dragon, it's, it's, with each level, you had to fight a boss at the end. Yeah. Now, if you had to fight all the bosses at once, you you wouldn't be able to win. But Trump, you know, it was he took you know he took down Rubio and he took down Kasich. Remember with the uh, was it the pizza thing was Kasich? He kind of one by one swatted down these competitors over time, so that by the time it was just him and Ted Cruz, you know, it was too much. He had already gained he had gained too much momentum from that, um, and and so you know that was. We, he did win Iowa, as we know, and then after that, things started to change. We have a ton of calls, by the way, on this. Do you want to yeah, get with, I mean, with the very I'm perspective? Curious. You, you don't have to agree with me uh, on that, but I, I spent a lot of time looking at it over the weekend, and I, I think, again, the headline is not good, even if it's just reassigning some of your staffers on the DeSantis campaign. It's a sign that they haven't connected in the first 60 days or so. What was the official uh, DeSantis launch? 15th of May? Yeah. Something like, I forget the exact date, Basically, but it was mid-May. Basically, we're si- 60 days in, and there has been no, uh, the, the argument was, well, once we really get the campaign rolling, DeSantis will start to get some gloves on Trump, and we'll see some movement in the polls. Yeah, we've seen movement, but it's actually been that Trump has extended his lead. And look, there are other people who I think have knocked themselves out, right? Like, Mike Pence has knocked himself out. I don't, I don't I think Mike Pence's political career is over. I think he was bad on here I with mean, us. Did he knock himself out, Clay, or <laughs> did somebody throw well, a little elbow? I, I think he was bad with us. I think he was really bad with Tucker over the weekend. I and then there are people like I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, Buck. Asa Hutchinson is drawing crowd. They they're giving away pizza. I, I don't even know like if it's a crowd. People. You know how a conspiracy yeah. legally requires more than one person? 
Can you call what Hutchinson is drawing a crowd? What I don't know. He, what is he even doing when you're giving away free pizza and only four people show up? Did you see some of the pictures yes. of the Asa Hutchinson events? Like, I don't really. Is it just so that we talk about him as the worst candidate in the field? I mean, when I say the worst, I'm not even. I don't mean that subjectively. I just mean of the ones that have some elected office. I know there's some other very random candidates that are, are but they're never going to get on a debate stage and no one's going to pay any attention. I don't really understand the advantage for someone like Asa for Vivek I get it right Vivek he came look he was strong on this show he's got a national profile now there's no question he wins no matter what he wins if he doesn't you know even yeah. end up in the top three of the presidency uh, and that's clear it's true of a, a bunch of different candidates uh current and past but I don't get the I don't get the Asa Hutchinson play I, I don't understand well, when, when he announced Buck we said I don't even know who he's talking to that's telling him, hey, I see a lane for you. Like, I can see Vivek's, what, 37 years old. He's super smart. He's a multi-hundred millionaire. He's obviously had success in many different fields. I think Ron DeSantis, you guys know this, I think he is the best governor in the country during COVID. He got everything right. And you, you know you know what I'm, you know what I've seen that I didn't anticipate, but I understand, and I've seen it a lot. You have a lot of people for whom... Their political reality right now on the GOP side is Ron DeSantis is a great governor. Trump is the guy that we still need to fight the Democrat machine. You know, online, you'll see people say DeSantis is a rhino and he sucks. And it's like, guys, can, you yeah, know, that's a lazy argument. That's a that's lazy argument. Yeah. Like, that's just not he's a very good governor. He's a Republican. But is Trump the champion that the base wants for this fight against the Democrat machine? That's. People can say yes to that and still think that DeSantis is a great governor and still think that, you know, that Youngkin has done a better job than anybody could have expected in Virginia. You know, there's there's room for these things. It doesn't have to be this binary to land punches on Trump over policy because Trump is. By and large, motivating how people feel. And once people decide how they, and I think, by the way, this cuts against Trump some in 2024 because, but right. in the primary itself, Trump is a, he makes me feel proud to be American. Yeah. He makes it like, it's a feel thing. It's not a, hey, well, what exactly are you going to do on uh, a policy as it pertains? It's just a feel. And it's hard to attack a candidate who is winning based on feel. Does that make sense? Like, it's an emotional connection. Yeah, well, people vote based on how logic. the vote. I mean, there's actually yes. evidence and you know empirical data to back this up. People vote mostly on how it makes them feel to cast that vote. Correct. More than anything, it's like, I vote for this guy because, you know, I like him or I trust him or I, I want him in this or I want her in this fight, whatever it may be. Look, we got every line yes. lit. Let's get to some of the perspective that people bring to this. Um, and also, uh, just as a little... Uh, a little teaser for the next hour. We have the um, head of Moms for Liberty, MSNBC, firing uh, firing off at Moms for Liberty over the weekend. Barack Obama himself weighing in on the book bans that are blamed on groups like Moms for Liberty. There are no book bans. We'll talk to you about all that in the next hour. I think it's a really important debate. Uh, you know, we're all trying to improve in one way or another, whether it's holding ourselves accountable to be more present with family or setting new goals at work. Either way, we want to make the most of each day, which is why you should know about Chalk. It's spelled uniquely, C-H-O-Q. Chalk is a Texas-based company 
full of patriots who make world-class natural supplements. Their male vitality stack includes ingredients specifically chosen to provide energy, drive, and focus in your everyday life. Like so many members of this audience have discovered, a subscription is the way to go. The leading ingredient in Chalk's male vitality stack has been proven in studies to replenish diminished amounts of testosterone in a man's body. In three months' time, you're likely to see a plus 20% increase in your T levels and certainly feel the improvement that comes long before that. Sign up with Chalk today. It's choq.com online. That's choq.com. Save 35% off the subscription you choose for the life of it when you use my name, Buck. That's B-U-C-K in the sign-up process. So go to Chalk, choq.com, and use promo code Buck for 35% off. Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck, a new podcast. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Third hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now, and we have a really interesting and very troubling story to talk to you about here. Coming out of NYC, I'm currently sitting here in NYC, my hometown. I love this place. I will always love this place. But it's got its challenges, that's for sure. And here's what you need to know. Um, The city of New York, under the uh, honestly destructive beyond anyone's imagination, Bolshevik Mayor de Blasio 
set aside a fund for exactly what has just been announced, which is a $1.8 billion settlement for the city of New York that says that a teaching certification test, New York State teachers exams, for the state now, mind you. $1.8 billion? Buck? One billion with a B. $1.8 billion. Yes, sir. Think about this for a second, folks. This city is hemorrhaging people because of the taxes. This city is hemorrhaging people because of their radical equity communist lunacy when it comes to public disorder, crime in the streets, all this stuff. And yet here we are being told that the city is giving $1.8 billion to over 5,000 black and Hispanic recipients here. And let me tell you why. The state of New York had a test. I have seen sample questions from this test. And it was, if you want to be a public school teacher, you have to be able to pass this basic skills exam. It's not that complicated, folks. If you want to teach kids how to read and write and teach them basic arithmetic, you have to be able to do those things. That's why we have a teacher certification. It's not that crazy. Same way we have testing of kids to see if they're proficient. Should they move on to the next grade? They need to be held back a year. Well, what we have found out is a series of federal judges now in Manhattan. This stretches from the 90s all the way up till like 2014. There's 5,000 people who are, yeah, 1994 to 2014. You have a couple hundred people have already been told, Clay, they're getting settlements of a million dollars. One guy got a settlement of $2,055,000. I want everyone to understand. This person took a basic skills test. I have seen the questions. It is like uh, an eighth grader should be able to pass this test. I'm just going to say it. It is not complicated. It's not that hard. Maybe a, maybe a really you know high-achieving ninth grader. It's not that difficult. And they've said that because they don't like the outcome of who passed the test by race... This is a racist test. That's what these federal judges have found. Is there any actual racism in the test? Is there anything in the test that is biased? No, they've never even... But but they don't... They're not okay with... They say it is de facto racism. That I'm trying to find the actual actual numbers here of who passed it and, and what it was, um, just to give you the exact. But that a lot of Asian and white teachers, or, you know, test takers past this and a much smaller percentage of black and latino test takers past this so clay they take that as day they're giving you know why they're giving two million dollars or a million plus dollars to all these different people they're paying them for an entire career in teaching of back pay and benefits everything i mean i it's i'm gonna find these numbers but think about this for a second like after the supreme court decision we just had this is blatant racism it is marxism it is wrong the plaintiff's lawyers here are first of all probably going to take 35 percent of this so in a budget that is already strained in a major way to give 1.8 billion dollars to teachers who weren't able to pass a what sounds like, based on the way you're describing it, Buck, fairly rudimentary. It is a basic skills test, folks. Yes. 
How many questions? I mean, I, I, this would be a fun test for you or I to take and, you know, at, as guys over 40 who haven't been in school in a long time. But teachers' unions have borne no consequences for the greatest failure in any of our lives when it comes to the education of children. The uh, front page story last week the learning loss that was brought on by COVID school shutdowns has not been altered, right? In other words, we're not picking back up. These kids who didn't go to school from March of 2020 in person, some of them not back in school for two years, while teachers were making their full salaries, while teachers were having to do a fraction of the work that they would ordinarily have been doing, And now for New York City, which was among those places that shut down for so long. And, Buck, we did this show for a long time ridiculing the idea that kids had to go outside in the cold and sit on buckets in in separation, socially distancing from one another to eat their school lunches. For this payment to be taking place is an abject failure, and and we've got to. Can I give you the numbers? Can I give you the numbers just so everyone understands? Yeah, I want to hear it. I want to hear. So this is from the lawsuit. Of the test takers for this for this you know teaching certification, ninety percent is an eighty question multiple choice, and then uh, an essay portion. Ninety percent of white test takers passed, so nine out of ten. And I, I'm yeah. trying to find the number of, of Asian test takers. I believe it's uh, it's right. It's it's basically the same, very similar. Nine out of ten of the black applicants who who took the test. Um, 53% passed, and 50% of the Latino uh, applicants who took the test passed. In the in the uh, the judge's decision here, Judge, I believe her name is Kimba Wood, um, appointed by you know a Democrat, you know, the whole thing. Uh, judge Wood took it as a disparate impact claim, effectively by saying the test is racist because. You have different levels of people passing the test from different racial groups. That is it. I, and and we sit and we say, if this is now the standard, if this disparate impact thing is a standard for the way we judge public life, you have the destruction, the, in, the entire destruction of meritocracy. That this comes after the Supreme Court decision that said this is racist. You are not allowed to do this, where you give some to some people because of skin color, another to other people. The test. It, by the way, they've done a new version of the test. You know how much it's changed. Not very much. Well, how could a test be racist? I mean, because in order to be racist, you would have to presume a certain questioning that was a function of whiteness or Asianness, right? So I, I don't even know what an example of that would be. But in order for a test to be racist, there would have to be some basis of knowledge that a white person or an Asian person would have that is not testing what what the multiplication tables are or who the president of a country was in the 1920s. Do they have examples? I, I would just love to know what these kinds well, of I mean, I saw one, one example was a question that was asking you to tell which fraction is between four other fractions. Doesn't yes. seem very racist to that's, me. That's my point. In fact, I think that it's racist to think that that's a racist question, right? I think that that's really showing a an expectation deficit from the white libs who are pushing this at the top level of the city bureaucracy. People people are, are making this from the teachers' unions and everything else. 
I think their motives here are very suspect. Um, but here you go. Here's This is from the New York Post piece on this. One of the recipients, this guy uh, Grimm, his last name is Grimm, he's gotten, I think he's the one who got the $2 million settlement. He said he's in disbelief, but the money can't come fast enough because he's racked up debt in his home and credit cards. He couldn't recite any example of why the test was biased, but I can tell you how many times I took them, a lot, a lot, because he failed many, many times. So even the test takers have no have no idea why the test was racist. Well, you understand the question, and I would love to hear from people out there who could give me an example. In order for a test to be racist, there would have to be some basis of the questions that white and Asian people would have a benefit of that that black and Hispanic test takers would not have. You under, and, and your question on math, I mean, it would be impossible, I would think, for a math test to be racist. So I'm trying to think what basis of knowledge does whiteness or Asianness have that is so advantageous that if you're black or Hispanic, you can't pass it. And, you know, there's there's another news story that I want to throw into the mix here just because I think it's indicative of what the mentality is here. In Cambridge, Massachusetts, the school district, this just happened. I uh, saw this. In the last 48 yeah. hours, the school district has gotten rid of advanced math classes. Why? Why has the school district said no more higher level math for these students, not going to teach it? Too many white and Asian kids, not enough black and Latino kids. So instead of saying, let's make sure the resources are present to give every opportunity and help black and Latino students that want to be able to achieve this level of math to get there, which, to be clear, Harlem Success Academy has shown this in New York City is possible, beating the state average in terms of math and science. But instead of looking at how this can be done, they just say nobody gets to learn this anymore. Well, what is that? Because Imagine people's feelings if, are hurt because they're not good enough at math? Th- this all comes down to the idea that every race has to be similarly talented in everything. And this is where I always, this is in my new book that's coming out in three weeks. This is where I always say sports, which I still think is the ultimate meritocracy. Buck, imagine if you said that, for instance, the U.S. men's basketball team, which is the best in the world right now, and we got the Olympics coming up next year. What if you said the U.S. men's basketball team, which currently is entirely black, which is really not very diverse at all. Black people, 13% of the United States population, every member of the most recent U.S. men's basketball team was black. Imagine if you said that the men's basketball team had to perfectly reflect the racial uh, makeup of the country. So you had seven white people, three Hispanic people, two black guys, and one Asian kid, right? You would end up taking 10 black jobs away, which would otherwise be deserved based on excellence in basketball, in favor of having a perfectly representative of the United States basketball team. What would happen? The team would be way worse because instead of using the meritocracy and taking the most talented and the best for purposes of a team, you would take the the team that looks like America. And God forbid, 
If you made it half female, too, it gets even worse. I mean, when you just also think about what's going on here with the city of New York, um, and this is Bill de Blasio on the way out, another, I mean, he he was just leaving behind even more stuff to just trash the city, and and he's such a nightmare. And I mean, even Democrats have figured out, you know, if they want to be safe walking down the streets, you don't want Bill de Blasio in charge of anything. Um, But, but Clay, think about this. If you were an Asian test taker in, say, the year 2000, and you passed this exam— and you worked as a full-time teacher for 20 years for your pay and benefits and salary, the city of New York, the other people that took the test, they had other jobs. Some of them even went into teaching. But they were given what an Asian or a white test taker who passed was given for 20 years of work. The city of New York is given to black and Latino test takers who failed for free, handing it to them. So you can either work for 20 years and earn health care for yourself and your family and do everything like some of the test takers who passed did, or you can fail, go do whatever other job you want, and then get a million or $2 million payday. And it's this is what we're paying taxes for here. I mean, it's it's enraging. when you And the fact that the city, the fact that the libs in this city are so brainwashed that they don't see this for exactly what it is, I, I just, I think it's a disgrace. I think it's an absolute disgrace. And and the judge that pushed this through is, in, oh, I mean, they're they're horrible, but it makes them feel good. It makes them think that they're social justice advocates and all the rest of it. So, you know, keep paying those high taxes, New York, so you can give people um, two million dollars for not doing anything and not suffering any discrimination. But, you know, I mean, you know, maybe I don't know what else to say. Uh, if this is where the country's going, the country's in big trouble. I know it's just New York City, but this is this is a a, a reflection of the Democrat mindset here, uh, writ large. Look, there's a phrase in life that is worth remembering: nothing takes the place of preparation. So, if you're a gun owner and you love the sport of target practice, you know how gratifying it is to have a great day out at the range to move that skill set along to get better. But like everything, it takes practice, and I can't always get to the range. You can't always get to the range, right? That's why. I train at home with a dry fire practice tool called the Mantis X. This is a firearms training system that is a no ammo, all electronic way to improve your shooting accuracy. You can use it anytime and keep your skills sharper in the process. My Mantis X attaches to my firearm like a weapon, uh, weapon light rather. Then I connect it to the Mantis X on my iPhone. It gives me drills and courses designed to improve my aim and accuracy. Once you start using this, you're likely to have the same kind of improvement that nearly everybody does. Mantis X users see an improvement within 20 minutes. I mean, try this thing at home. It's so cool. It gets kind of addictive because as you're getting better and getting better, and as your trigger pull is smoother and 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 better, and as your sight alignment is improving, as all this comes together, you're going to want to use it more. Start improving your shooting accuracy today. Get yours at MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X dot com. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton making sense in an insane world. So Clay brought this to my attention uh, just a moment ago. And I, I my first instinct was, is this like deep fake stuff or is this AI or no, no, it's it's real from what we understand. But here it is. Um here it is, uh, Trump, because remember, the, the, the promise of the Trump presidency is he's going to get revenge on the government and those who have wronged him. Um, and here he is talking about former enemy of MAGA world, Hillary Clinton. Play it. So I took the name Crooked away from Hillary and we gave her a new name. Beautiful. I call beautiful. She's so beautiful. And 
But I took it away because I wanted, I don't believe in the same name for two people. I don't like that. And I've never done this before. You know, I have it, and you have to live with that name for the rest of your life. I'll go over the different names, but I won't, because many of them are now friends of mine, okay? So some of, he's not saying Hillary. Okay, okay. just to be clear. Uh, I, we got This one was a little bit, Clay said that he was saying that Hillary, he's not saying Hillary was his friend. He's saying some people he's given names to are his friend. But, you know, this is one of these moments where you play that soundbite and you say to yourself, he's just he's just funnier and more engaging than the other options. And the value of that in the current political environment, how do you even quantify that? Like, he's he's legitimately funny. He's legitimately yes. amusing. Um, and I, and he's not saying Hillary's his friend. So to be clear, I thought that's what that's why well, I that's thought it was what, an AI I, or a fake. I, I, you, you know, I'm not the kind of guy to throw the staff under the bus here, Buck. That's just not me. You know, I would never. But I'm totally going to throw him under the bus here. The headline is Trump says Hillary is no longer crooked. Crooked Hillary, but beautiful Hillary because they are friends. That's the direct headline. Uh, okay. So, but he was, but he was joking. He yeah. was joking. Um, just, so that's what, just to be clear, I thought it was AI or, I was like, what? Like, but no, he was making a joke, which is why Trump is Trump. Okay. So Trump there is, to your point, you're 100% right. By far the most entertaining person who is running for president on the Republican side. Entertaining. Not saying you agree with him. Uh, I, I'm not saying that you have to uh, approve of everything that he says. But he is the most entertaining person running on the Republican side. What I don't think anybody has yet just, shown me. Is he the most entertaining person, entertaining person who's ever been in politics in our lifetime? I mean, maybe Reagan was Jesse, as engaging, but Jesse the Body Ventura was pretty ridiculous back. But for presidential candidates, oh, but uh, Jesse Ventura is not funny. Trump is funny. Oh, Jesse the Body Ventura was pretty funny. Really? I hope Jesse the Body is Jesse the Body Ventura still alive. I, mean, I think. Do so. we know? I mean, I mean, you're, you're I putting me on the funny. spot, buddy. I think he was pretty funny, uh, but that's been a long time ago. Ross Perot was pretty funny back in '92 when he got 19 percent. Like of the laugh vote. with him funny or laugh at him funny? I think he was pretty funny. I I, I remember him having a line like, "We got right. people at uh, working could, couldn't work at Dairy Queen driving you know Cadillacs." Clay or was in college. I was there. in kindergarten, so I don't remember this <laughs> stuff as well. But what you've hit on is important. I have not, and so Trump is at 50%. Let's say Trump's at 50% right now, which seems to be a rough approximation of, of his of his tally. You are going to have to out-entertain Trump in order to end up the nominee. Let me repeat this, because I don't think you aren't going to out-policy Trump. DeSantis is way more skilled at analyzing policy. Policy puts most people to sleep. Now, there are exceptions. You have to be able. So DeSantis has got this interview coming up with Jake Tapper. If I were giving advice to Ron DeSantis, I would say you need to turn that interview with Jake Tapper into a WWE wrestling match. And you need to pick him up and metaphorically body slam him during that interview just to cut through the noise. Because I think DeSantis was at his best, and you remember this, Buck, during covid when he was feuding with media that were asking questions and they were trying to set him up. 60 Minutes, the, for instance. The best. Uh, I was going to say the, the best yes. DeSantis moment in terms of you know media cycle, I think, other than winning Florida by 20 points, uh, which was pretty amazing. But the best moment he had was when that reporter tried the, oh, but you got 
money 100k from you, public, from public nothing which is it and so that's why you rolled the vaccine out in publics yes. first or whatever and he was and he just he put on a clinic with that one yes it was you know i mean it was kind of trumpy it was yes. kind of a trumpy moment so that that's my thing if you are going to get past trump i i don't buy the fact that you're going to get past trump by being better than him at policy especially now that he's de- devoted and out to 50 percent Buck, what is the number one thing that Trump people love about Trump? He will fight for them. They believe, whether whether it's accurate or not, the, I would say the number one thing that Trump does is he fights for them. And I'll, I'll, I'll build on that in a, in a way here, Buck. He not only fights for them, he often does it in a funny way. And this is what the, the left never has really gotten about Trump. The fun. There is a large element of fun associated with the Trump campaign. Who seems who's running against Trump right now, Buck, and seems like they're having fun? Vivek, maybe that's it. Yeah, uh, it's it's important because it goes to movement building. I mean, there's yes. infrastructure building for the campaign. There's understanding the blocking and tackling and how you have to move forward in a national campaign. And then there's the sense that people want to be a part of something, that there's a broader narrative, that there's a reason why you're not just voting for a person, but you're an evangelist for that political uh, slate of ideas in your day to day life and and that you want to show up at parties. I mean, the whole Make America Great Again MAGA uh, world. And I I remember I was living in D.C. when Trump was in his for about two years when Trump was uh, in his first term. And there was a real sense of, you know, brotherhood and sisterhood among all Trump supporters. There was a whole language that people would use to talk about these things. There was a sense that you could throw parties where you talk policy, but people are having fun. Um, and I mean, political events, right? Yeah. That was, it was both of these things. So that's very, um, that's very appealing and very powerful to people. Uh, the, the policy level stuff. One, I don't. Th- I think you're right that it doesn't move the needle as much as some people might assume. And then also, there's a lot of dis- you know policy is easy to disagree on. Who's the most fun? People feel that one. A hundred percent, they do, Buck. And this is why I the analogy I made for Trump back in 2016 was he reminded me of a rapper, and a lot of people didn't get that. Yeah, and you even just kind of reacted to it. But the the way that I mean that is people who are big fans of rap. They don't take everything that a rapper says literally. And then people who are trying to cancel rappers, they inevitably pull out rap lyrics and they're like, but look at what he said here. And what they miss is the wordplay and the fun and the humor that often underlies the rapper. Whether we use Eminem, which is someone that people know really well. If you take everything that Eminem says literally, he's telling you that he's going to murder 5,000 people in every album, but it is a that there is an expressiveness of the language that is not representative in the literal word choice. And what I think that people who hate Trump miss is that he is a rapper in that he speaks hyperbolically but entertainingly. And it's not a surprise to me that rappers loved Trump before he got into politics, Buck. I don't know that anybody had been name dropped more than trump i was up uh, last year uh, at the live golf event in bedminster nelly came out and for those of you who remember nelly uh, nelly back in the day was uh was tough some to of meet. them want to take a ride with you 
That's right, Buck. Very well said. Do you remember there's a shout-out to Trump in that Air Force One Nelly song? And so Trump is there watching Nelly perform as he gives the shout-out to Donald Trump, talking about how wealthy he wants to be. And, and so my point on this is the people who hate Trump, interestingly, often overlap with the people who uh, who also sometimes hate rap, but what they're missing is the literal sense of the word versus the uh, the hypothetical sense of the word, the hyperbole, and the fun. Who's having fun on the campaign trail right now? You're not going to beat Trump by being serious. You're just not. You're going to have to have fun. I'm not sure anybody can beat him. Go listen to the first hour. But I damn sure know nobody's going to beat him by trying to talk about how they're going to reformat uh, Article 2 of the Constitution. That ain't working. All right? Just think about it. Uh, I got to tell you, no one's immune to the prospect of a natural disaster of one kind or another. We try to prepare, but sometimes it's not possible. Having a proper supply of emergency food on hand before disaster strikes is smart. You breathe easier knowing you can feed your family in crisis. Go to preparewithclayandbuck.com right now to get a one-week emergency food supply. Look, here's the deal. We have this in the Travis household. Right downstairs, after I finish the shows, do a couple of calls, the advertisers, I'm going to go downstairs, going to go get my lunch, I'm going to look there, boom. One for me, one for the wife, one for each of our kids. We got five of them. It comes well stacked. And you can get hooked up right now at My Patriot Supply. They are the largest food preparedness company. Millions of happy, worry-free customers. They made it easier and more economical than the one-month supply or even the three-month supply. Hey, maybe you just need a week. No skimping. They'll last for a very long time. And you can get hooked up right now. $30 savings available this week only. Again, it's a one-week emergency food supply. Instead of a month, takes up less space. One week Take care of you. Get hooked up today with preparewithclayandbuck.com. Do what I did. Go to preparewithclayandbuck.com. Geek out with the guys on the Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. A new episode every Sunday. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time... 
with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us as we roll through the program and continue to uh, break down everything moving on in the world of uh, world of politics and beyond. We're joined now by Bridget Ziegler, co-founder of Moms for Liberty. Uh, you guys, Bridget, first of all, thanks for joining us. You've been in the center of uh, the media onslaught here of late. But I first became aware of the organization Moms for Liberty where I live in Franklin, Tennessee, because you guys were so outspoken uh, in fighting against mask mandates and ensuring that kids were back in school. Uh, you were 100% right on all that. I've been a fan of your organization ever since. I was one of those parents, not a mom, but a dad who showed up and fought for liberty for my kids in their public school in Williamson County, uh, Tennessee here. Uh did you ever think that being a mom and fighting for kids would end up being such a controversial position to be your, find yourself in? Well, you know, it's two things. I think it's, um, I'm not surprised in the education space because as the left has had a domination over K-12 education for decades. Um, I'm a school board member still in Sarasota, Florida. That's Tina and Tiffany, who are also the co-founders and still leading the charge at Moms for Liberty, also school board members and moms. So we saw behind the curtain. So this was before necessarily everyone knew it was happening. But what I find hilarious, though, is how desperate the left is to come back and regain control by trying to disparage parents, moms and dads who have never been active in the political process, who are just fighting to protect their children and calling them every name under the sun in hopes to call them, in hopes to shut them down. Um, but I can tell you the national summit that we just had in Philadelphia, they're, these moms and dads are fired up. They're not backing down. And um, I think it has the left really scared. All right. So I wanted to call for uh, Jen Psaki here and let you respond to her. Play that clip. Since the height of the COVID pandemic, schools, teachers, and administrators have all become the target of right-wing anger. That anger no doubt sparked the rise of organizations now focused on taking over school boards, pulling books from the shelves, and changing curriculums in schools across the country. Among the largest of these new groups, which you may have heard of, is Moms for Liberty. Now, the group has declared itself as a nonpartisan organization. And its name does sound innocuous enough. Moms, great, sounds good. Liberty, awesome, who doesn't like liberty? Moms for liberty. As the mom of two young kids, that even sounds good to me. But this group brings out the worst in people. The group says this work, all of this shouting, is the work of joyful warriors, is what they call it. Sounds a lot more to me like pretty aggressive harassment. want to let you respond, Bridget, to uh, MSNBC's Jen Psaki here. Again, I think the disparagement is their desperate attempt to 
try to change. You mentioned earlier about the book discussion. I have them here. We show them around and walk around with them to illustrate to people what we're talking about. Because notice the left never ever talks about what it is that we're trying to get out of the out of our public schools. Um, they try to make it sound like it's all innocent. The reality is that at the beginning when parents were getting involved and they would read these items in the paper or hear someone like Jen Psaki make this uh, you know, accusation, uh, it has only grown the movement more because these are people who aren't used to being in, in the paper. I'm, I've been in politics for a while now, so I'm, I'm not used to it. But these are people for the first time who have been vilified and incorrectly um, disparaged. And then they go and talk to their neighbors and they go talk to their neighbors because they know each other and they know that they're caring about their children. And it's only growing the movement even more so in Florida, we're really fortunate for the leadership that we've had and Governor Ron DeSantis and our state legislature have been able to put laws in place where we're able to protect our students. And a lot of places across the country are trying to follow suit so that we can restore education back to our children's focus, academic basics. Um, it's, it's across party lines, over 60% plus of Democrats, independents and Republicans all believe education's on the wrong track and they wanna get back to the basics. And that's what some Moms for Liberty is fighting for. Yeah, Bridget, we were just talking about Disney and the idea that we would have ever had a woke Walt Disney company seemed crazy. You mentioned Florida and the battle with Ron DeSantis down there. What do you think as a parent? Because I've got three relatively young kids myself, and I'm kind of in disbelief that we've ever entered into a place where when a new Disney movie comes out, I have to think, oh, is this age appropriate? Should I even take my kids to go see it? Isn't that kind of emblematic in general of the newfound struggle that parents find themselves in. We don't even know hardly who our allies are. A hundred percent. So I have three children under the age of 10. And so the same thing goes, you wanted to, there are certain established areas or, or, or companies or organizations that you felt safe. School was one of those places, by the way. And all the not, we're finding that we have to pull back the onion and vet everything more meticulously because there are specific agendas being pushed that are really intended to sexualize our children. They only have a short amount of time to be kids. And we need to fight very hard as parents and as grandparents and aunts and uncles to protect the next generation of leaders so that they can enjoy their youth, understand how to be critical thinkers and build upon those foundations without having these sexualized liberal agendas put their throat through organizations um, and public education. You know, Barack Obama, Bridget, uh, shared a tweet out where he was uh, decrying all of the book banning that is going on. And this, of course, is meant to be uh, a shot at not just DeSantis policy in Florida, but organizations like yours claiming that you are banning books. What is the reality of the position of Moms for Liberty? And when, when the left, whether it's MSNBC, Obama or the Biden White House, talks about book bans, what are they really talking about? So at the end of the day, the, the word is used to sensationalize and create emotion to people where they want to stop the conversation and not not really get down to the depths of what parents are pushing back on, what the material is that is so alarming. I'm now on the advisory board for Moms for Liberty as initial co-founder, and one of the aspects that we talk about um, is truly just about ensuring that parental rights at every level of government. And that includes to make sure public education has the barriers and stays within the, inside those guidelines that uh, is respectful of all the diverse communities that we serve at a public school, which have different religious backgrounds, political backgrounds, and cultural backgrounds. And I'll tell you one thing that the left has uh, not been able to do that we have found through this fight, through the parental rights fight, is we're unifying people of all different backgrounds based on the rate they want 
this to be able to children the way they see fit versus the government raising their children or putting in instilling certain beliefs or moral beliefs that are that that run contrary to many families that serve. Bridget Ziegler, yeah. VP of School Board Programs at the Leadership Institute and co-founder and advisory board member of Moms for Liberty. Bridget, keep up the good work. All right. Tunnel to Towers Foundation's Let Us Do Good Village in Lando Lakes, Florida, is a community that will have about 100 homes for the foundation's program participants when construction is finished. Some families have already moved in. That includes a Gold Star family and the family of a severely injured hero. The Let Us Do Good Village is a special place where, together, families can heal. A community where the children of our nation's fallen or severely injured heroes can grow up and experience life together. It's all thanks to an extraordinary donation of many acres of land and your generosity. Help America's greatest heroes and their families heal together. Make the Let Us Do Good Village the first of many communities like it. With every mortgage-free home, the foundation makes good on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices our heroes have made for our country and our communities. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Stay current with what Clay and Buck are saying on TV. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 